Well, let's just jump right into things this morning. Wow, I got lots of volume. When we last left off, which is a few weeks ago now, we were in a series on talking about King Saul. And we, uh, we said this, we said, you know, Saul really was a horrible king. And you know, not everybody in the Bible is an example for you to look up to. But they can be an example for you to learn from. As Paul said, that these things happen to them as examples for us, say for me. You know, we can often read the Bible and be like, oh yeah, that's good for somebody else. But no, the Bible isn't talking to somebody else. When you read it, it's talking to you. And she so says, these things happen to them as examples for us. And they were written down to warn us who live at the end of this age. And it says that the temptations in your life are no different than from what others experience. Let's think about that for a second. You know, we can often think that we go are the only one going through this problem, but that is like 99.9999% never the case. There are other people going through the same things as you because it's the human condition. We all have these experiences. And if you think about that being, well, let's get my words in order here. If you think about it this way, if you're going through it and the Bible says others are going through it, why don't you stop and encourage someone? Because, you know, everything in, this, in, in our life works in seed form, as Pastor Robin was talking about. And oftentimes we're thinking, I just wish someone would encourage me. Find someone to encourage. I wish someone would show me a little kindness. Find someone to show some kindness into. Because the more we're self-centered and thinking, me, 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 the less you'll find yourself having. But the more you find yourself, who can I lift up today? You'll find other people coming out of the blue to lift you up. You sow, you receive. And so the temptations in your life are no different than from what others experience. And God is faithful. We spent a lot of time talking about God's faithfulness in our worship set this morning. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And it says when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now if you read the book of James, you'll find out that those temptations don't come from God. Actually, James' exact words say, Let no one say, when I am tempted, I am tempted by God. For God in no means tempts anyone. And, but it goes on to tell us actually where the problems came from. It says, each one of us are drawn around, about, about by our own desires and our own enticements. So the temptations Paul's talking about here did not come from God, but God can be the solution for you. So Saul was never supposed to be a good king. He was actually the embodiment of Israel rejecting God as their king. And when they first said, Samuel, your sons are no good. We don't want them to lead us. You know what? Give us a king. Samuel got mad and he went to God and he's like, God, this is what they're saying. And God calmed Samuel down. He said, listen to this, Samuel. It's not you they've rejected. It's me. And so when you reject God and the courses that he has set out for us to walk in, stuff happens. This reminds me of Forrest Gump. 
we'll leave it at that. Stuff happens when we are trying to run our own path and our own way outside of the way God has intended for us to walk. And this is what God told Israel when they rejected him. He said, gives them Saul and he says, when the day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding. But when the Lord, but then the Lord will not help you. It was interesting that he said that. Because I, I think this is actually a point where God said something that he didn't mean. Because when they did cry out to them, guess what? He did help them. That's right. He's a God of mercy. But it says the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. And even so, we still want a king, they said. God will allow you to have things in your life that are not beneficial to you. He will not force his will on you. And so we can end up in situations that are not God's intentions, his design, or his plan for us. I'm sorry, God is not sovereign in the way religion calls him sovereign. He is sovereign in that he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he can do whatever he wants to do. And he, what did he do? He bound himself to his word. He says he cannot lie. He cannot change his man, mind because he's not like a man. And so if he said it in his word, you can hold him true to that. But God is not sovereign in the way that religion uses it, that whatever God wants to do, it may be good for this one, but it won't be good for that one. No, the word is true for each and every one of us. He speaks specifically to you when you open up the word. But he will not force you, force his will upon you. You know, I, I love this story that uh, Pastor uh, Mark Hankins says that he was young and he was rebellious and his parents were pastors and he wanted nothing to do with what they were doing and he was just out li living the rock and roll lifestyle, you know, uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that stuff. And he's out, out uh, and he, he bought this brand new red convertible sports car and he got this hot blonde model of a girlfriend. And so he decided, I'm going to take her home to meet mom. And so they like pull up into the driveway, mom looks out the window and is like, mom was super nice, you know, chatted with the girlfriend and everything, and he says, hey Mark, why don't you help me take these dishes back into the kitchen? And as he set the dishes down, mom, you know, looked at his face, you know, the way, only way that moms can, and said, uh, Mark, you may get what you want, but you won't want what you get. And he said it only took about five minutes for him to realize what she meant, and that girl was out the door. <laughs> and he said, thank God for a good mama. <laughs> but you may get what you want, but you may not want what you get. And that's exactly what Israel got in this situation. They got Saul, who was handsome. He was tall. He was strong. He looked like a good leader, but when everything settled, he was anything but a good leader. And this is what, uh, what uh, Samuel said, to, uh, or sorry, this is when Saul, everything unraveled in Saul's life, Saul screwed it up so everything so badly. This is what Paul, Samuel said, how foolish. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you, and had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And that's the truth. He's given, he had given Saul an open sheet. What would you like to do with the nation? Follow me and lead them back to me. Because that's what, that was the job of the judge before God had put the king in. 
and uh, Saul didn't take them that direction. But in Deuteronomy, we know that it says, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. And he says, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. And so the product that they got out of Saul was based on his choices. God did not override them, and he received everything that he didn't want. And so he, Samuel told the people, when the day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Because when the tame time came, they cried out, and what did they give him? They gave him David. And so I want to jump to David. This is what the book of Samuel says about David. He's ending Saul's reign and says, but now your kingdom must end, and for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of this people. We said last week when we were just exhorting you after worship that the word that gets used here is the word, Hebrew word levav, which means his mind, his will, his heart, his soul, his understanding. But Jesenius said this, said this of Lavav. He says, it applies to a mode of thinking and acting. And so throughout the Bible, we see that you can have a pure heart, you can have a sincere heart, you can have a faithful heart, you can have an upright heart, or on the, on the negative side, you can have a contrary heart, you can have a perverse heart, you can have a stubborn heart. We've all met a lot of stubborn people. Maybe you are the stubborn person. <laughs> but God's word about David was that his heart, his mode of thinking, and his mode of acting were just like God's. I want that to be said about me. And I hope you do too. But in order for that to happen, that means we need to stop being the stubborn one or having a contrary heart, or having a closed-off heart. We can open up our hearts and let God transform us. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, which means that the way you've always thought may not be the way you need to think to take you into the future. And so we can allow ourselves to be conformed and to be poured into the, the word that is used there to, do, to be not conformed but to this world means to be poured into the mold. You can be poured into the same mold as the world. You can think like them, you can act like them, and you can get everything they got, but you may not want what you get. But you can have your thinking transformed by aligning it with God. And so David, his heart was open. And he says, I've found David, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. So this morning, seeing as we gave Saul and all his negativity airtime of what we shouldn't do, we should maybe take some time and look at David and look at the actions and the thoughts that made him a man after God's own heart. And so we started with Saul. We started at the, one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, and that's the story of David and Goliath. And so we looked at how Saul was reacting during that whole situation. Now I want to look at how David, the hero of the story, was reacting. And so it starts here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. You guys ready to do a little story this morning? Yes. 
So it starts like this. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sukkah and Jordan and Azka and some other name. And Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Israelites and the Philistines faced each other on opposite hills with a valley in between. So you've got a hill on this side, Philistines. You've got a valley in between. You've got a hill on this side, Israelites. What that means from a military standpoint is, in order for this battle to happen, one side or the other is going to have to leave a good defensible position. Run across an open area, which is not what you want to do, and then try and fight an uphill battle. So unless both sides are willing to come from their great defensive positions and meet in the center, this battle's going nowhere. That is why we find Goliath. Both sides are at a stalemate. It's not advantageous to either side to leave where they are without suffering heavy losses. So, then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel, and he was over nine feet tall. Now, I'm six foot, so in order for me to be about nine feet, I think I'd still have to be a little bit taller than what I am right now standing on this stage. This is a big boy. Now, we've done, if you want to look more into what was actually going on here in the story of David and Goliath, you can go back into the archives and find a, a message called uh, um, Things They Never Taught Me in uh, Sunday School slash David and Goliath. And it will go through all the aspects of how you get a nine-footer. You know, people say, oh, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, but you still today, you get Yao Mings and Andre the Giants. We still get people that grow that large. It's a, it, there's actually a disease that causes you to get that big. If you want to look into the ins and outs, you can find that series. We're not going to talk about it today. But he's a big guy, nine feet tall, calling for someone to come out and fight him. Are you going to get out of your chair and fight him? Come on. It says he wore a bronze helmet and had a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. Yeesh. It's a lot of weight. He also carried a bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And the shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam. Now, we don't really know what a weaver's beam, because we don't work with looms and, and making our own fabrics from threads and stuff like that. But in those days, if you wanted to have clothes to wear, you needed to make some fabric. And so a weaver's beam, which would get stretched out over the loom, in this time I, I was looking at some historical data, they say that it was probably about two inches to two and a half inches thick. So that's one thick spear this guy's got and at the end of it it's got an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds so it's basically this guy's swinging a small tree <laughs> and it says that his armor bearer walked ahead of him and he was carrying his shield probably because he's already got 125 pounds of, of armor on and then he's got this big old beam he's like you carry the shield i just can't do it today and Goliath stood and he shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. So he didn't even make his way all the way across the valley to them. He stood on his side and said, Hey, I'm the Philistine champion. Why are you all coming out to fight? He says, I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only 
I think that's interesting. This tells you who his, his target was. You are only the servants of Saul. Who did he want to come out and fight him? Saul. Because Saul was head and shoulders above all the people in Israel. So if here I am. He's this much taller than me. So Saul's a big guy himself. And so when the Philistine came down to make his taunt, he was looking for one person to meet him, and that person was Saul. We know from our story from a few weeks ago, Saul did not meet him. Where was Saul? Saul was hiding at the back in a hole. He says, choose one man to come here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. And he says this, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They, meaning Saul was deeply shaken, and so were the armies that were following. You ever notice that you have a weak leader? You have disorganization behind the scenes? And that's what was going on here. Saul was not a strong leader, but enter the hero now David. So it tells you where Saul is, deeply shaken and afraid, and now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, but he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. Now what do we know about these three older brothers? Well, when Samuel showed up at the house of Jesse to find a king, because that's where God had sent him, Eliab shows up and the, he tells you Samuel's inner monologue. He goes, hey, this guy's good looking. This guy's strong. This guy's got some good leadership qualities. Surely he is the king God sent me to anoint. And God said, it's not him. And then Abinadab shows up. And he said, hey, this guy's in the same qualities. Maybe he's the one. And God tells Samuel this, don't look at the outward appearance. Because God had already chosen a king based upon those standards, right? It said Saul was the most handsome one in all of the kingdom. He's head and shoulders above everybody. God's already been there and done that. He's not looking at the outside. He's looking at the inside. We live in a world today that's looking at your outside. It's judging you based upon your outside. Whether you've got all the Gucci on, whether you're driving a Maserati, they have determined their uh, um, metrics of whether or not you have value based upon how you look. Guess what? That's all worthless. In a fire, it all burns the same. <laughs> what God is looking for is what you got on the inside. So, for 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front. I love that word. He strutted in front. Why? Because he know he holds the upper hand while they're cowering in their holes. He strutted in front of the Israelite camp. But one day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brother's. As he was talking with them, so David gets there and he's talking with his brothers. He's bringing them their, their grain and their cheese. And it says, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And David heard him shout his usual taunt. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Who does that include? 
David's three brothers. It says they. In context of the story, it's David standing there talking to his brothers, and they began to run away in fright. So fear had spread through the ranks of Israel from the top to the bottom. And here's what he gets asked. So David's standing there kind of like, where's everybody going? Why why are you down there in the hole? The, The enemy's not even running at us yet. And this is what they say. Have you seen the giant? As I was thinking about that, you ever notice that everybody wants to tell you about their giant? You know, our family's just been so sick this week. My goodness, uh, just seems to be going around. Oh, it's just been a rough week. Come on, oh, don't look at me so holy. You know you, this is how most people start their conversations. They tell you about their giant. Yeah, that's right. I will never forget, this is completely marked in my heart for the rest of my life. Beautiful fall day. Sun is shining. Best day we've had in weeks. Kind of like, like, whoa, is summer coming back? You know, we're supposed to be approaching winter, not summer. One of those days, you know what I'm talking about? One of those fall days? Got some gas, I'm going in to pay for it. Three older ladies in front of me, I'm listening in in their conversation, and here's how it goes. Oh, the weather has just been so dreadful lately, hasn't it? <laughs> Other lady turns to her. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to survive this winter. I think my time has just come. I just, these old bones just can't take this anymore. <laughs> Have you guys looked outside? Everybody wants to tell you about their giant. And so it was no different in the camp of the Israelites. They said to David, the fresh blood who's just come, who's kind of like, why are you guys hiding? Haven't you seen the giant? And he says, he comes out each day to defy Israel. And the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. I just have to go ahead and side note here. Saul did not follow through on that promise. David had to make other conditions before he was allowed to marry the king's daughter. So don't take... The, uh, don't face a situation because the reward you think you're going to get. You do it because it's the right thing to do. That's right. And so David asks ask the soldiers standing nearby, and he says, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? You notice his words are markedly different than those around. Have you seen the giant? And David's saying, what will the man get for killing that guy? And ending his defiance, I like his next line even better. Who is this pagan Philistine anyways that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? How do you face your situation? David saw this as a direct affront to God. Who are, why are you guys letting this guy come out and mock you? Why are you hiding in your hole? Who's going to end this? Who does that guy think he is? It's okay for you to take on an attitude with your problem. As long as it's the right attitude. But, shows you a little family dynamics here. But, 
when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. He says, what are you doing around here anyways? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? This is a slight. This is Eliab trying to put the mouthy younger brother in his place. You know, I've got three brothers, and we had to do a lot of that, <laughs> especially with the one that came right after me. And he's not here to defend himself, so we'll just leave it there. But Eliab turns to David and says, shouldn't you be with the few sheep? What was he trying to do? He was trying to diminish David's role. You realize that's exactly what the enemy will try to do when you start to get a backbone? He'll try to make you take on the opinion that you are little. But you aren't. It says that the greatest one of all history is inside of you. And if he be for you, who can be against you? So the enemy's going to try and make you think little of yourself. But you know, that's kind of useless when you think much of your God. So he says, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. You know, confidence can often be mistaken by others around us. That's okay, as long as you win. Really, who cares what other people think? Well, other people just don't believe like you believe. That's okay, believe the word. That's always a good position to be in. And this is David's response. You can tell this is not the first time he's been dressed down by Eliab. What have I done now? <laughs> I was only asking a question. Oh my goodness, I'm seeing my own children right now. <laughs> you know when one comes running and they're crying and so-and-so did this. And my thought now is, yes, but what did you do first? <laughs> so David's like, I was only asking a question. So we know what happens next. Word gets back to Saul that someone will fight Goliath. Now, let's put ourselves in a leadership position for now. It's said that David was a young boy, a ruddy youth is how it describes him. We think he's around 16 to 17 years old. In your right mind, do you send that boy to fight this guy? No. But at that point, Saul's just looking for anybody who's willing to pop their head up out of a hole. And you got to realize that your situations look a lot differently when you stand up. So Saul, he tries to load him up with a whole bunch of armor that doesn't fit. And David's kind of like, I can't take this out there. And he tells Saul, you know, I've take on, taken on a lion with my bare hands. I took on a bear with my bare hands when they tried to take my sheep. You know, David had a different opinion of the sheep than Eliab did. <laughs> if it's just a few sheep, it's like, eh, we've only got two sheep anyways. You can have it. Take it, lion. Take it, bear. No. But David was willing to fight for those sheeps. 
I don't know if sheeps is the proper term. It's just sheep. <laughs> sheep. <laughs> oh, come on. I, just allow me to be in a good mood this morning. <laughs> so he says, I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear, and I will do the same thing to this giant. You know, if you're about to face a situation, rehearse your victories, not your failures. You may have to think a little while if it's been a while since you thought about something. There's a great song that Ramah Singers and Band used to sing. He'll do it again for me. He's the same. He's not changed. But a lot of us think that God flip-flops from one day to the next. If he's delivered you in the past, guess what? He'll do it again. I killed the lion and I killed the bear and I'm going to do the same to Goliath. And so David... He picks up five smooth stones, we know the story, from the stream, and he puts them into his shepherd's bag, and he's armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, and he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. You've got to think of how funny that's got to look, just if you had a bird's eye view looking down. Here you got the nine-footer, boom, 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 with those big old tree, and you got the, the shepherd coming out. Must have been a great sight to watch. And Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him and sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come to me with a stick? And he cursed David by his, in the names of his gods. And he says, Come over here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. You know, sometimes your problems can talk a good game. But David replied, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, God. And today, try it again, and today, I'll try it again, and today the Lord will conquer you. And he will kill you, and he'll, I will cut off your head. And then I'll give your dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. If your problem's talking a good game, talk a better one. Yeah. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. You know, I think that speech would have been enough. But he doesn't end there. And everyone assembled here will know that there's a Lord that rescues his people. Why do they need to know? They're hiding in their holes, filled with fear. So not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to restore a backbone in God's people. And he says, he rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. So what is the main takeaway we need to take away from the first story of David? Is you never run at your giant with your mouth closed. And the enemy wants you to shut up and put up, but God's wanting you to stand up, and as we were singing this morning, declare his promises. For all the promises of God are yes and amen. If he said he'll deliver you, guess what? Stand up and he'll do it. If you feel like you're going under, why don't you go ahead and speak what he says, that you are an overcomer. If you feel like you're under the barrel, go ahead and get up on it and do a dance and a song and declare the praises of God.
Church is just not something we come to, it's what we are. What happens on Sunday is not the end of your relationship with God. Every day you can go before your God and declare His promises in your life. That my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That by His stripes I was healed. You speak what the Word has said about the situation, not what you feel. If everyone went by what they filled, the giant never would have fallen. But David didn't care how big it was, how loud it was, how strong it was. Every giant has a weak spot, and it's called the Word of God. So he pulls out his sling, and he pulls out his stone. He spins it. He releases it, and the giant thump. And collectively, both sides of the valley. And it took a few seconds, but the Philistines realized, we better run. Because if the little boy can take out the giant, when those men come out of their holes, we're done for. Hallelujah. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruit. What fruit? Which one are you speaking? Death or life? You're going to eat one of them. That's an example I shouldn't use. <laughs> For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Those were the words of Jesus. That's why he said, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not everybody who shows up to church will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to your garage makes you a car. He says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said, believe in your heart, speak it with your mouth. Your giants fall the same way. Believe the word of God in your heart, speak to the situation. Speak life to it. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I want to end with this verse though. Psalm 141 said this, set a guard O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. Do you know who wrote that psalm? King David. Because he understood the power that is in your words. It's how your faith is released. It's how your situations change. What the enemy wants you to do is stay silent. And what God is wanting you to do is declare. I'm going over. I'm going through. It doesn't matter if I have to break down the wall or jump over the wall or just obliterate the wall. I'm going through that direction. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're watching us via the internet and you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life. The only way that that happens is if you say, Lord, I want to receive you. I believe what you've done, and I receive you. Why don't you all stand up with me this morning? 
If you're here this morning and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, I don't want you to wait another moment. I want you to come and receive him because that's the start of a new life. You can want to change, but until you make the stand, it will never happen. And if you're watching us via the internet right now, I'm talking to you as well. You don't have to go another moment without God. You don't have to be intimidated by your giants. You can be the one that intimidates them because God will step inside your bones and bring you into his family. Is there anybody in here that this morning that would like to receive Jesus? I would love to pray with you. I would love to lead you into the kingdom of God to have a new start, a fresh start. Is there anybody, anybody at all? Anybody at all across this place? Well, we're all going to pray for those of you at home right now. I just want you to pray along with us. Father, I thank you for Jesus. And right now I receive him as my Lord. I believe you raised him from the dead. And I thank you that I was raised with him. And I come into your family now, God. I thank you for this new start. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are blessed. I want you to have a wonderful week. We have coffee. Let's have some talk. But I want you to remember, above all things, you are loved and you are accepted by the Father. You're dismissed.